Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, where we discuss hunting tactics, land management, and the dynamics of land ownership. I'm Joe Baya here co-hosting with Clint Flowers this week. Clint, tough times in the turkey woods this past weekend. Yeah, it was pretty quiet and full of gnats. We were successful in finding the gnats. Yeah, for we sure. succeeded in that endeavor. Not a lot of turkeys talking. I talked to some buddies and sound like it was just mixed Mixed reports. Some areas they're doing well, some areas not so much, but that's turkey hunting, man. I, for me, it's always been about just every morning's different and you just keep your confidence up. And just because you didn't hear anything the morning before doesn't mean you won't hear anything the next morning. And the more you go, guess what? The more turkeys you kill. Kind of hard to kill one if you don't go, Joe. That's a fact. Well, what is, uh, what's coming up on your land? We're, we're nearing the end of turkey season and uh, I got to enjoy your property this weekend. I saw, saw you guys have been doing some prescribed fire and looked really good. What, what it had produced. Uh, what's next on the land management list for you guys? I'm going to start laying out some of the you know, spring and summer food plots that we you know, got some ideas out of the last uh, show or two. And then also, I'm going to try to be more aggressive on trapping this year. I mean, that's going to be one of my bigger projects and just try to reduce the number of nest predators we've got. Yeah, I did see some broken eggs at your, at your place and I had... Did see a raccoon uh, one day, so I'm sure you got a, a job ahead of you. Are you going to do it yourself, or are you going to try to find somebody to do it for you? I'm a little too far away to do it myself. I'd love to, but uh, so I'm going to be looking for some local help. Well, Clint, you know, we were up on your place uh, where y'all are predominantly growing timber. Have you ever invested in farmland? No, I've always wanted to, but you know, timber's something I know a little better historically. It's, it's more stable, more hands-off. Uh, where where farmland can be a lot more involved for for the landowner, whether it's negotiating leases or dealing with problems with the farmer, or you know just commodity markets that can swing up and down and really hurt or help your year, you know, for that investment. So it's just something I've not really dived into. We we broker a lot of farms, and as far as owning one myself, I have have not done it yet, but it's it's on my radar. Yeah, you you know you hear about some of those sweetheart deals where a guy has a a really good, uh, really good hunting property that he also has, you know, farmland on, and they got a really good tenant farmer takes care of the property for him, keeps an eye on it, ma- maintains all the roads, and but you also hear the other side of it, which can be tenant farmers not taking care of it, they're not amending the soil like they need to, and and really be a lot of headaches when it comes to that. Not only that, it's farmlands can be a pretty high cost to entry for a lot of people. So it's, there's some challenges associated with investing in, in farmland. And, uh, but I'm excited about today's show. We're going to learn about how to make that process easier. Really, it's investing in farmlands without the work. But before we get there, this week's show is brought to you by the Alabama Ag Credit. Buying real property isn't the same as buying in town. If you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, give our friends at Alabama Ag Credit a call. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, they can help you with everything from homes and land to tractors and crops. Because sometimes natural resources need financial resources. And while some lenders don't get it, they do. Learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com. Today on Hunt Land, we're talking with Carter Malloy, CEO of AcreTrader, which promises a simplified platform for investing in farmland. Carter, welcome to the show, man. Tell us a little bit more about AcreTrader. Thanks, Joe and Clint. Um, I appreciate you having me on today. Yeah, AcreTrader, I, th- I think you put it best. Uh, it's, it's very simply, it's a, a platform online. You can go on and buy shares of farmland and earn passive income. Uh, we've, we've taken the farmland investing process down to minutes for investors, so you don't have to deal with a lot of the headaches involved in both buying and managing and, and selling farmland. Uh, so we, we take care of all of that, provide transparency, flexibility, 
ease of use. Uh, and again, we'll, we'll handle administration, property management, insurance accounting, uh, working with the farmers, et cetera. So we've got a really in-depth diligence process and we go out and find good farmland and put it on our website for people to invest in. Carter, you said it. So tell me about some of the headaches. I mean, you guys are looking at hundreds of tracks, I don't know, probably every day, I would imagine, uh, and analyzing what's going to produce the kind of returns you want. So what are some of the headaches in, in identifying the right tracks? Yeah, the, the biggest problems we encounter are information. Uh, so our, our team, we've got a, a dedicated team uh, for farmland acquisitions that goes out and looks at or speaks to hundreds of farms and farmers every week. And, and we may select one of those to invest in. Uh, we've got a very formalized three-step diligence process that we take a farm through as we're, we're evaluating whether or not to acquire it. And I'd say the, the biggest headache we run into is just information, records, if, if, if you will, uh, from, from that farm. And quite often, uh, unfortunately, kills deals for us. Uh, we'll get to the final stage, the, the third stage of diligence, and we've done incredible amounts of software and mapping and, and LIDAR and work and been out to the farm, you know, really dug in. But if the information is not all there, we just don't want to take anything to our investors that we haven't really been able to cut through top to bottom and, and understand every, every corner of. So what I'm hearing you say is that y'all don't go out and buy tracks that on what they could be. You're only buying tracks that have a proven, consistent track record. Mostly, that's well said. And, and uh, you know, there's there's an asterisk uh, in that we love improving tracks. We 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 enjoy putting capital in and improving whether that's uh, uh, irrigation or or land leveling or cleaning up land. And so. We actually, we hope the land has more potential than, than where it has been when we invest, but we just need to understand what we're stepping into. Um, and, and so need to understand all of the, the components of the land, getting bids for that type of work up front um, so that we make sure that we're not, so we make sure we are efficiently allocating our investors' capital in that land. Carter, can you ex- elaborate a little bit or explain more on the LIDAR process, exactly what that is? Sure. So uh, it's it's you know we've got a, a whole slew of things that we do for armchair analysis, if you will. I mean, you can't buy a, far- a farm just from looking at your computer, but we can eliminate uh, a lot of them by looking at our computer. And so, uh, lidar is one of the many mapping uh, systems that we use, which basically gives you a really good topographical detail in in many states. Uh, that that's available uh, on online, and then we've got a GIS analyst on staff uh, that will take that and overlay it on maps. Uh, it just allows us to go through and make sure that we're not going to, you know, there's no large unforeseen water problems, uh, either getting water on or getting water off uh, of the farm. So not only will we look at the subject farm, but also the neighboring farms. If you're, if you're in Illinois or Iowa, uh, making sure that you're not on the receiving end of a whole bunch of other drainage tile is, is always pretty important as an example. So Carter, one of the people that I'm working with right now, they're, they're looking for timberland that has formerly been farmland and they want to convert it back into uh, row crop. Do y'all take on projects that extensive or are y'all really looking for, you know, say maybe a, a property's got 80% tillable and you're trying to take it, take it to 90. You know, what, what are those, what are those benchmarks that you're looking for, for tillable ground? I'd say more of the latter. Uh, so we, we are looking for high high percentage tillable ground. Uh, we'll certainly do some tree work if, if necessary. But but for us, it's important that we're not speculating. Uh, so you know we don't want to go out and take... You take big swings and sometimes you get really big hits and sometimes you miss pretty badly. And we're trying to avoid that, that latter thing. One of the issues that I see the farmland owners 
that I know going through one of the headaches they've got is managing their property. I mean, just you've got to make sure that your tenant farmer is making the amendments they're supposed to make and managing the property way it needs, needs to be managed so that it produces consistent yields. I mean, do you guys get involved in managing the tracks too? I mean, how does that take, how's that taken care of? We do uh, either, either firsthand or, or through a third party. So we'll, we'll work with local managers, um, you know, to help oversee the, the property management and then do it internally as well. And, and you're right. Uh, there, there's a lot to pay attention to. First is for us is making sure we're underwriting a good tenant from the get go. Uh, so out of the gate, working with a good farmer, a farmer that will provide us references, uh, being able to speak to other tenants in the area as well to make sure there's a good supporting tenant pool of farmers in that neighborhood. And then we are an aggressively process oriented company. So every uh, facet of management we've, we've got worked out and database structure that we use to, to inform the, the decisions that we make, uh, how we work with those farmers and make sure we have uh, adherence to reporting, which, which is important to us and, and to our investors is to, you know, just have information transparency. So here's what's happening on the farm. Here's the good things, here's the bad things and, and go from there. And I guess part of that process is dealing with, you know, farmers, if, if they need to make a change, you guys are, you're just handling it from beginning to end, really? I mean, that, that, is that right? That's it. You know, for, for the investors, this is a passive investment. We want them to be able to come onto the website, know that we've done the upfront diligence work, invest and not have to worry about it. We, we send them distribution checks uh, that we get from the rent from the farmer. And uh, aside from that, we just don't want to have our investors, especially if you have, you know, you're invested 10 different farms at, at, on our platform. Uh, you know, you've got $10,000 in, in one farm here and $20,000 in another farm there, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't, we don't want them having to think constantly about the, the problems or, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly that may be going on out there. And so that's really our company's task. And we got a great team here. One of, uh, one of our, the head of our farm operations actually managed a couple hundred million dollars of farmland before joining Acre Trader. So, and then, and then uh, alongside him, we've got a great, a great team of farmland experts and analysts. And so uh, something that's very important to us is managing it properly. You know, you mentioned those investors that have maybe ten or twenty thousand dollars, you know, spread in, into several different farms, and that's oftentimes what I see with folks, not just in farmland but in land in general. Their their first hang up and not getting started is that they don't feel like they've got enough money. You know, I mean, farmland's expensive, not expensive. That's uh, not the right way to say it. Usually, the cost of the transaction is large, uh, just because you're buying multiple acres. And for someone who's wanting to get started investing in farmland, what, where can they start? How much money does it take to buy a share in a farm? Yeah, on our website at, at AcreTrader, uh, it's you know, takes a couple minutes and as little as ten thousand dollars to get started investing. Uh, you, you've hit on one of the big pain points of why we created the business is. Farmland as an asset class has done incredibly well over the last 20, 30, 50 years. And um, you know, there's a lot of people that would like to own farmland. But the reality is, is beyond the pain in the neck stuff we've already talked about, is it requires a half million, million, $2 million to go out and buy farmland. And, and even if you have that, that type of capital to invest in farmland, do you really want to put it in one farm? And so what, what our website does is pretty simple. We take each farm. So let's say it's a million dollar farm. We put that in a, into a unique LLC. And then allow the investors to come buy shares of that LLC so that they can invest in the farm. You mentioned the risk of having, you know, quote unquote, all your eggs in one basket. So, you know, I mean, I, one of the things I always laugh about when, when you hear people talk about the stock market is, is they'll say, you know, invest in a diversified portfolio of mutual funds, but it's all within the stock market. So, yeah, you're diversified, but you're diversified within stocks. So there's no 
you don't own any real estate necessarily if you're doing that. You don't own any land if you're doing that. From from a, a farmland perspective, can you be diversified uh, with AcreTrader? Like, are you guys are you guys just doing row crops? Because that wouldn't really diversify you if if there's a big commodity drop per se. We are. We do. We do all kinds of, kinds of crops. We're we're fairly crop averse. I, I think what matters is good soil, good water, and a good financial profile. And those are the three things that we we really underwrite. And then we are geographically diverse, which is probably the, in our opinion, the best way to get a mix of crop and and weather and tenant uh, diversification is just by going to different geographies. Because uh, if you're growing soybeans uh, on a farm here in Arkansas, as an example, uh, you you can pretty easily. Uh, put corn on that farm and it's got the right kind of soil, uh, I probably put rice on there as well. So what we care more about is just the underlying dirt. In terms of diversification, that's the whole reason we're here. Risk-adjusted financial returns is what everybody seeks with their investment dollars. And farmland is wildly unique in that it's uh, not correlated really to other asset classes. It sort of acts on its own and it's, and it's very consistent. You're not going to get rich quick doing farmland. That's not the game. This is not venture capital investing. Um, but what, what's been fascinating about it is, is the long-term compounding of capital. So returning almost 12% a year for the last 30 years pretty consistently. And I think that's what, that's what we're after is that, that portfolio diversification. Exactly. Getting away from the stock market and mutual funds to something that's differentiated within your portfolio. 12% is a pretty strong return. Why don't you break that down for us? So, I mean, is that 12% cash on cash return in a year? What's what's the spread uh, and where's the, where's the money come from? Mm-hmm. So it's it's split roughly half. It's 11 and a half, 12%, uh, so somewhere in that range over the last uh, almost 30 years. The reason we use that time f- period uh, is simply because that's, that's uh, 1990 was when NC Reef began tracking the data. We can find sparser, more sparse data going back further than that, but the returns look pretty consistent uh, through through history. That breaks down roughly half and half uh, appreciation in in land value and cash income. So, uh, you know, for the last thirty years, call it that. That's uh, half of that is going to be rent coming from the farmer or, or uh, cash from the sale of crops, and and half of it's from uh, so it's like your cash on cash yield every year. And today, those look you know in the in the threes and fours, and sometimes a little higher than that on the cash component side. And there's the appreciation side where uh, the farmland has gone up uh, in value every year. That is, is a fairly simple supply and demand setup. So we have so much land in the U.S. and it's shrinking by three acres every minute. Uh, so we have a finite amount of supply. It's physically limited. We can't make more land, and that supply of land is shrinking every minute. On the other side, we've got more mouths to feed every day. Uh, and, and so as a result, uh, dwindling supply, increasing demand equals over time, uh, rising price. And, and that's what we've seen with farmland. And, uh, that's, that's our thesis for, for the long term on farmland is you'll continue to see that, that impact the investor positively. Have you guys looked at any, I don't know if diversification is the right word, but a, a tangent into the, the hemp world yet? We have not. Um, we get calls. I mean, it might be every day. Uh, from people that want us to invest in their hemp farm. And we get calls from investors saying, I want to invest in hemp. And this one's a, an interesting place because we're, as a platform, you know, we, we really want to uh, give people access to what they're looking to invest in. But we, and, and I personally, but, but our, our whole company has had a pretty hard negative bias against investing in hemp uh, since we started. And, and I think so far that's proven to be in our favor because uh, as, as you guys probably well know, most hemp farmers are not hemp farmers anymore. I'll give you a, an example. My dad grew a little hemp on our farm and his, his saying is one and done. 
you know, did one crop and, and he's out uh, because the market was flushed. There's just so many people growing it. It's a cowboy industry. And that's not to say people won't make money. I think there'll probably be some people in that, in that space to get really rich and there'll be a lot more that, that lose it all. And um, losing it all is just not a, uh, an exciting proposition to us. Uh, and, and in that case, with, with hemp particular, particularly, the risk and reward, we just don't view it as, as favorable. Now, again, we will look at, at, we've looked at a lot of hemp deals um, and said no to all of them. We'll continue to look at them. And if something stands out to us as interesting or unique in its, in its risk profile, then you know, it it's behooves us to go and do that work. So we'll, we'll continue looking, but you don't want to let personal biases get in the way of investing at the end of the day. Uh, you want to deal with facts and figures, but so far the facts and figures are not supportive of, of us investing in hemp. It's definitely felt like a gold rush and, you know, there's a lot of political risk, you know, on, on top of everything else. And there's a, I think, a, like you said, a, a short-term window where everybody could make pretty good return and then that market's going to get flooded and level out. And yep. It's a commodity. It's, it's a weed, right? I mean, it, yeah, it, it, it's, it's not right. uh, impossible to grow. So you're exactly right. It's a gold rush. And, uh, you know, the old, the old adage about being in the business of picks and shovels uh, when there's a gold rush, I, I do think there are some really fascinating businesses in the, in the value chain or the supply chain for hemp uh, out there selling mm-hmm. picks and shovels to the gold miners. But I personally don't, you know, and, and I invest in a lot of uh, the farms we put on AcreTrader and, and I personally don't want to uh, be in the gold rush business today. It's not a knock on people that are doing it. Uh, you know, it's fascinating industry, and some people are doing it very, very well. And and so, uh, I, I want to be clear. But until it stabilizes, you don't want to. There you go. You know, uh, risk people's yeah. money. Yeah, we'd rather be late and, and right than than early and wrong. That's right. You mentioned losing money. We don't really like to talk about that on here, but since you brought it up, I mean, Clint and I don't believe in it personally. It's not. It's, uh, it's not in my business plan. It's against my family traditions as well. But also, uh, you know, have you guys ever lost money? As a platform, uh, the farms we've invested in, we have not. Uh, we, we have never lost money. That, that will happen. So I'm, I'm not standing here today saying everything we do is perfect and we're only ever going to invest in the best farms ever. We're going to try really, really hard to make sure that's, that's the case and that we get it right. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's investing. There, there is risk associated with it. So uh, we don't, we don't want to say it'll never happen, but I, but I can firmly say um, it, it has not happened to date. Uh, we've had some really good investment experiences, but uh, no missed rents, uh, no no bad returns. Talked about a little bit about the macro risks, you know, of just being all in in one farm and how diversifying across different kinds of farms, different types of commodities being produced on those farms gives you some, you know, hedges you against that. But what about what about microeconomic factors? You know, on these individual farms, how do you? I mean, is is that go back to the analysis? of that local market? It does. Is able to help you make sure that's not going to happen for your investors? It, it does. Uh, so on, on a, you know, there's micro, small and, and macro big. So on the microeconomics level, uh, looking at individual farms, A, a there are some, country, some areas of the country we don't go in. Uh, and we get calls every day from people there wanting to sell land. And it's probably for good reason. So, you know, we eliminate as, as much uh, looking as, as we can around what we think are troublesome spots in the, in the U.S. Uh, and then on an individual farm, there's, there's a crazy amount of idiosyncrasies, uh, not just at a state or county level, uh, but at an individual farm level. Uh, every farm's different and every farm can have uh, meaningful microeconomic risks to it. So that's that's what our diligence team is really all about. Uh, that's why they're looking at, at so many hundreds of farms before finding one to invest in, uh, is to make sure we, we understand as much of that as we can, run it through a uh, quite literally a 100-point checklist um, just to uh, underwrite the investment in the farm itself and, and the tenant in the area. 
so, so it's micro risk. Macro risks are are entirely different. Uh, you know, that's uh, broader economic problems, uh, and there there are two primary ones that we look at. Though there's a, a myriad of others. One is commodity prices. So commodity prices over the long term uh, can be correlated with rents, and and we've seen that. We've got some blog posts on on our website, Acre Trader, that discuss that. The bad news is commodity prices suck right now, uh, and and that's bad for farmers. That's that's bad for business. Um, you know, and maybe the worst news is it's been bad for five years or six years now. So um, you know, really 2014 since then we've fallen off and been here in a trough of commodity prices, and and so that has not been helpful to rents. Uh, and you you saw some places that were over rented or rented really high. You saw corrections in rent prices there. Today, looking across the country, rent looks very stable, and, and I think. If you look out another five years, you could create an argument that uh, commodity prices should improve alongside inflation, and, and therefore we should see inflationary rents as well. Um, but it's something we, we think about is, is commodity prices for sure. Sounds like a good time to buy. You know, buy when others are fearful, and um, uh, you know, sell when others are greedy. That's that's the that's the old adage, and I think it's a, a good one. The other is interest rate risk, and you know, if interest rates were to go up. A whole whole lot, then the cost of financing goes up, and even though farm farmland in the U.S. is really really under leveraged, there's not a lot of debt in the system. Uh, it still doesn't help, and and so high interest rates could could be hurtful to to resale prices. That being said, it seems uh, the exact opposite is taking place today. It seems like we're in a we're in a, a really really will be in a long period of prolonged low interest rates, and so we don't uh, we don't panic about interest rates every day for any reason. You mentioned that resale. What's the timeline on your farm? So, are you guys buy and hold for as long as they're producing, or was that part of the calculation that you're going to resell in three to five or 10, 15 years? What, what's the process there? Yeah, our, our typical approach is um, anywhere from three to 10 years. So, the farms we're doing value add, right? We're going in and improving the value of the property and investing in it. Uh, those, those tend to be shorter three to five year type timeframes. Uh, the, the farms we call ice cream farms, the things that are already looking really great and don't need a ton of work. And we're really there to, um, to, to maximize the yield of it. That may be more of a, a five or 10 year type investment. Uh, for the investors on our platform, we, we ask them to have that long-term mentality and, and invest with us for the long-term. For liquidity, if, if they do want to get out earlier, uh, there is a minimum one-year lockup on their shares. Uh, that's a, a per SEC uh, regulations and guidance. And, and then after that, they are free to sell them to friends or family and sell them through another online exchange platform. We'll, we'll help facilitate there. Uh, and then we are also uh, hopeful of having our own uh, hosted exchange on, on AcreTrader where you could just sell, sell, buy and sell shares on our website. Carter, if I own an ice cream farm, why would I want to sell it? That's a great point. Not, not all people do. Uh, and for people that want to own farms indefinitely, uh, we'll help them identify and, and acquire a single farm. Uh, we, we've got tons of farms in our in our funnel or our, our hopper at any given point, and so we'll um, we'll help those people buy a farm they can hold for a long time. For for everyone else, they, you know, we do want to have you, you want to have a visibility into getting your cash back out of of the farm. You know, if there are changes in in rules or regulations or market conditions, uh, you you want to have the ability to to get back out, and and so that, that's why we have a a finite end of life on those farms. I want to track you back to something you said about it really interested me that you stay out of certain areas of the country. What factors create a troublesome, quote unquote, troublesome area for you? Water is usually the big one. So, uh, you know, uh, there are areas in uh, Texas, Nebraska, Kansas, 
that are, that are troublesome. Uh, tenant pool is another one. There, there are areas, I mean, where you guys are in, in Alabama, uh, as an example, or Florida, you find a great, beautiful farm, good soils, good water, it, the things trading at a good price, but there's one farmer for 20 or 50 miles uh, and the other farmer down the road probably doesn't want to mess with this farm. That to us creates real risk if, you, if you're just putting all your, in your words, put all your eggs in one basket with one farmer. Again, ideally, we're with that farmer uh, for, for you know, the, the life of the investment uh, and, and the farm. That's what we look for. Um, but we always want to make sure there's a backup option in case that farmer, you know, something happens. The competition drives those lease rates. That's right. And where, like where we are, you get in the black belt, you know, you may be at $40 an acre, but you get into the south part of the state where you've got a, a larger number of farmers competing for that ground. I mean, very similar in terms of yields, but the rents go from $40 an acre to you know, anywhere from 100 to 130 uh, And that's, you know, you're talking about a, a two and a half hour drive difference. Right. Uh, I, and Clint, I've seen that in, in Walton County, Florida. I've seen that across the county where you've got Mm-hmm. Very similar soils. One farm over here is $65 an acre and the one across the county is $110 an acre. It was all due to the uh, the producers in the area. Yeah. It's, it's not cost effective for that that producer to uh, drive his combine across the county. <laughs> right. And and so you, you just don't see a ton of that uh, mobility. And so you want to make sure there's there's a number of good farmers in your area. And again, not not just so they'll compete with each other and, and have a, you know, actually capitalistic market forces there. Um, but also just to, uh, just to make sure if your farmer decides he wants to retire, uh, that you've got somebody else you can work with. Stability that gives you some, it's the safety net that is you know, created by that competition. I don't know if competition is the right word, but players in the market on your leases, are y'all typically doing an, just an annual lease or is there any a profit share or yield type structure at all? Or is it just a straight rent? It depends um, and is not meant to be an indirect answer. Usually, uh, it's a straight lease, uh, cash rent. Uh, we do also use flex leases uh, where there's a, a cash floor and then a, a flex upside on that lease uh, if, the, if the farmer has a, has a great year. And, and that's a predetermined formula we'll, we'll work on with them uh, to help reduce their risk you know, and, and increase the upside for everybody in a, in a good year. And, um, and then places where we're doing permanent crops, uh, so you know, almonds or we're working on pecans and apples and a few other uh, tree nuts right now. In, in, in those cases, uh, we'll actually have some crop risk because we own the trees. And so, uh, you know, you, you get paid on your, your actual uh, sales every year. You addressed liquidity a little bit earlier. I want to step back to that. Now, if I buy a, a share on AcreTrader and, and I've got to hold it for a year, I understand that. But once I've met that requirement, I decide, you know, I want to sell this farm and I want to, I want to buy a different kind. I want to get out of crops and I want to you know, buy a you know pecan grove or almond grove or what, whatever it may be. If I stay within Acre Trader, what does that look like? What does that transaction look like? It, you know, do I have to pay taxes at the point of sale, or could I could I ten thirty one within Acre Trader? What are some of the options to quote unquote trade within the platform? In, in general, forewarning, I'm I'm not a CPA nor am I a lawyer. Um, legal so, legal disclaimer. Yeah, this is not a tax advice, but but typically, you know, the the transactions for you just like if you're buying or selling a stock. So I held it for more than a year. You look at long term capital gains as your as your tax rate on on that sale. We we can help individuals 1031 uh, that are looking to to 1031 into a farm property. Uh, we don't currently have fractionalized 1031s like like we do with standard farmland on our website. Uh, that's a whole other podcast getting into Delaware statutory trusts or, or DSTs. 
Uh, and, and they're an effective tool and something we've, we've explored quite a bit. Our, our general counsel has, has really done some great work on, uh, but it's, it's not something that we do today because uh, it creates a, a, a ton of complexity. You know, one of the things that uh, I see more and more nowadays is the lack of, or uh, some companies do very good with it, some not so much, but communication. And when somebody buys, you know, a share of a farm through AcreTrader, how do you update them on what's going on? I mean, if if there's a problem at that farm, do they know about it, or do, do they, uh, or is that handled and, and dealt with, and you just show up with the checks? You know, a, a theme you'll see all over our website, and you'll hear me use the word overuse the word transparency. Uh, it's it's really crucial for us, both both internally with ourselves and and externally with investors. Uh, and and so anything an investor wants to know, we can provide them. So anytime we get call, we, we do we get calls, emails, people chatting on our website all day, every day, and and we're we're an open book. Uh, in in terms of regular communications, so you've you've come on our platform, spent the five minutes to fill out some forms and log in and and drag and drop some funds across. Now you own a piece of an LLC, and so you own farmland because uh, that that LLC does have the title to that farmland. So now what? Uh, what what do you get? Uh, we provide at least uh, twice a year, we provide updates on that farm. So the investor, they'll get a notification in their email. Uh, you go log into your account and, and there's an update from the farm. Um, you know, some pictures, some, some data, uh, financial information, et cetera. Beyond that, if, if there's a major problem, then, then we'll let people know. If it's, you know, everyday business problems, we'll always tell people they occurred. But rather than going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you know, we... We had to do this little thing over here in this corner of the farm. Uh, we'll just put that in the report uh, that, that they can see and, and make sure to flag that uh, when we send it out. But again, what we want this to be is a passive investment for invest for the investors on the site. So passive means not having to worry about it. You know, let your money make money while you sleep is, is the idea. And when you buy the the shares, I mean, what's the instrument of conveyance here? Do you get a deed or, or what do you get from MakerTrader? Yep. So every Properties held by an LLC. All right. So Acre Trader 125 LLC owns a piece of property in Florida, let's just say. The investors, that LLC has a common operating agreement, the same one we use for, for all of our LLCs. And so the investor agrees to that. And then the investor has a subscription agreement, which says, hey, I'm putting $10,000 in this farm. I now own this piece of it. And, and so that is their, if you will, your, your instrument of conveyance is that form of subscription agreement. And then yes, the the LLC owns the the title, if you will, and and so the you know by owning part of the LLC, the in, investor uh, is is part of that. And then all that again, your your shares, your traceability, uh, your investment amount, the distributions and cash you're getting back every year, all that is provided and tracked on our platform. So it's it's all electronic. It's all really easy, and that's the that's the most important thing to us is that this is straightforward for people investing. And if an investor wants to buy. They come in and say, I love that place or I love this portfolio. I want to buy 51% of this LLC, a controlling share. Can they do that? You can buy as much as much or as little as you want. If you buy 100%, so if you if you acquire a farm uh, through us, we'll help manage it and run it. But that's your farm. You can do anything you want to <laughs> you know, within the bounds of legal limits. Um, but you decide you want to sell it uh, a month later, I would not uh, advise that or recommend that. We understand and we'll, we'll help out. If you're an investor with a group of investors in one of our LLCs, then you will have the same rights as the rest of them. Uh, that is purposely set up that way so that somebody cannot come in and buy a majority and push around the other investors uh, or, or take advantage of it. Everyone's treated equally. Uh, I'm an investor in a lot of these under the same terms. And so the documents, and you can see them on our website, they're, they're written uh, very 
favorably to the investors so that, you know, and there's, there's contingency plans like, uh, oh, you know, acre trader gets hit by a bus, what happens, you know, to you, the investor, uh, it's the same. You, you still own that. And there's uh, descriptions and instructions inside of that operating agreement as to what to do um, should a contributor get hit by a bus in order to make sure that we optimize the, the financial returns for that investor and, and continue to regardless. So the financial rights don't dictate the voting rights. That's correct. That's great. I, uh, you got my wheels turning now, Carter, because I'm sitting here thinking, you know, we get a lot of guys that like to buy land to hunt on. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a risky proposition doing that. But I mean, if you had whatever, you know, if you had your, your group of buddies and, and they wanted to come in and buy one of these farms and that maybe it's in the Mississippi Delta and they can duck hunt on it, how do you treat that uh, hunting lease income? So if, I, if five guys came in and bought, you know, all the shares for that farm and, mm-hmm. and you could duck hunt on it, would they then have the rights to go on that property as they wished, uh, you know, actually be on the property or, or to the bylaws operating agreement? How would something like that be handled? If the five investors are friends and and they want to hunt together, uh, then then that's fine by us. In in general, uh, if you just if you have a ten thousand dollar ownership stake uh, in a million dollar piece of land, then it wouldn't make sense to let all those people go out and hunt on the land. Uh, it does make sense if they want to lease it, and and that's you know they don't have to pay lease on their ten thousand dollars, but they got to pay everyone else a lease, and and that's the the reality of it is uh, even if you own half the farm the other half is owned by other people. And, and if it's rentable and something you can hunt on, then uh, they need to make money from that. So it's just a, the fair and equi- equitable way to do it uh, is to make sure that the shareholders uh, of that individual farm are always uh, getting the best return outcome. So it's said differently, it'd be very unfair if somebody in Missouri owned a piece of land in, in Mississippi and one of the Mississippi investors was out hunting on it, but that Missouri guy uh, was, not, or was not a hunter in, in the first place. But so, I mean, potentially you, you guys do lease the farms out. If you, if you have a, if you have an income stream that's not related to farming, something like hunting, where let's say I own 50% of the property and, but then I lease the hunting from it, I'd be paying myself back 50%. Mm-hmm. How are those funds handled? Does that just add to the return? That's right. Whether it's renting the land out for hunting lease or putting a windmill on it uh, or- Cell phone tower. Cell phone towers, you got it. Any of the other various um, additional income scenarios, it's in the path of development, it's solar, um, all, all the above. We look at, we want those options for free. And I know that sounds uh, ridiculous, but we don't want to go out and underwrite a farm with the promise that maybe someday somebody will hunt it, hunt it, uh, rent it for hunting. Uh, what we want to do is go buy good farms. And then if we can also rent that for hunting, that's great. That's extra income. But the thing, you know, on on a pure ag basis, the underlying farmland uh, and and the rent we'll be getting for renting it out to a farmer uh, has to pencil out well for the investors. Do you have a model part of your vetting process? Do you use modeling that maybe says, you know, this is a good farm, first and foremost, it's got good yields and and it's going to be a good financial investment, but it's also in the path of development. Yes, we don't. And again, like while we will do scenario analyses around the mark to market of that optionality or that outcome, that's not what we use to underwrite the the value of the farm. The same is true for solar. I mean, we we do look for farms that are close to transmission for power transmission in, in areas where solar is going in. And for those, you know, it's, it's really great if we can find a farm that's uh, sitting next to a, a substation uh, for, for power, but we're not going to pay a whole bunch extra just to get that farm because it's there. 
So I'm, I need you to find one that's, you know, got good hunting, in the path of development and Clint can buy 90% of it and I'll buy 10% of it, but I get half the hunting rights. So <laughs> if it's just two of you guys, you can, can you can duke it out all you want to. Can you drop the link to that, you know, and just let me know where that one is on the site. You know, and, and Joe, it, you know, you bring up lots of sort of like far out there scenarios, but, but in yeah. reality, uh, we can work in, in all kinds of setups. And so uh, both for farmland owners and sellers, as, as well as farmland investors, we get all kinds of questions and none of them are crazy and, and most of them are workable, right? There. Well, I think we've covered a lot of ground today and I'm sure that we've uh, stimulated some questions for folks that are listening. And if, if they want to get in touch with you uh, at Acre Trader, you know, and, and reach out there and answer some of the questions they may have or take a look at properties that you guys currently have in the portfolio, what's the best way for them to get started? AcreTrader.com, our, our website. And there's tons of information on there uh, from how it works to historical performance. We've got a, a rather lengthy uh, blog area or learning center where we put uh, a lot of additional, additional information. There's a chat window in there. They can email us at info at AcreTrader.com uh, or call us anytime. Phone numbers on the website at AcreTrader. Well, Carter, it's been a pleasure, man. I've really enjoyed. I learned a lot from you today and just congratulations, man. I know you've worked hard on this and your team's worked hard on this and you guys are doing a very innovative thing that's uh, going to change the game when it comes to farmland investing. We wish you the best of luck. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Clint. I appreciate you guys. Thanks, Carter. Clint, what do you think about AcreTrader? Going to give it a shot? I, you know, that's sounds like they really have done their homework in a lot of different ways, but Ultimately, they've solved just about every problem that a, an, an investor could encounter uh, when it comes to getting into farmland. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it sounds like a great way to you know, get your feet wet and get around those, those cost barriers to entry that we discussed. And you can start here, or, or the way I see it is, is for me, it's, it's a good way to start, get into it as an investor, as an owner. And then if I ever decide I want to have my own farm, then I can buy those shares out or uh, use AcreTrader to buy another farm out or, or find one on my own and, and become a true uh, owner at that point. But this would allow me a way to you know to start investing in farms and, and be truly passive the way Carter described it. Just, yeah. just get, my, get my mailbox money. Yeah. Passive and, and diversify your portfolio, you know, where you've got some investments in farmland, even if it's not the entire farm, got the ability to do that. And I really like that if you do decide you wanted to buy an entire farm, you can work through them to vet a farm, which, you know, they're doing that constantly and then let them manage it for you. I mean, you think about when you buy, if you've got a rental property, it's vital you get a property manager in there unless you enjoy fixing toilets and dealing with evictions and things like that. So same yeah. deal on farmland. As an owner of rental property, I can definitely agree with that. I've, I've got a good property manager and I, I told him, I said, if you ever walk outside and get hit by a bus... I'm going to have to sell everything I have because I cannot deal with this the way you do. I mean, he's, he's got a gift and I, there's no way I could handle all the, all the calls and all the problems those guys deal with. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's not why people invest. You know, they invest to make their money work for them, not, uh, not pick up another job. And, and, uh, sounds like these guys have got that figured out. Well, Clint, I, I've actually just, just put in a tap order. We mentioned it on previous shows, but there's a lot of people looking for farmland right now uh, for all the reasons that Carter described, you know, all those benefits. We just put together a, a targeted acquisition. It's going to be somewhere in the 500 plus acre range. And that's another really good option too. If you are looking for a whole track, you can definitely, you know, go through 
national land and use our GIS platform to identify the properties in the areas uh, that you're interested in. Have you have you used a TAP program to uh, help a buyer purchase a piece of farmland yet? I have. Uh, we weren't specifically looking for farmland for the investment as much as the recreational side. Uh, they wanted a mixed track with either current or, or former farm ground with mixed timberland and, and water frontage. And, you know, so they wanted a very, not only diversified investment, but diversified look. You know, they wanted to feel like they pulled into the old farm when they got there. And so that's, that was the angle we came at it from, but a lot of the criterion was the same. When you break that down, you know, with the GIS team, explain some of the things that, that we're able to pull out, you know, and, and really segment uh, when it comes to identifying farmland or, or any kind of land for that matter. I mean, we've got layers uh, that they're able to go in and identify the soils, but what are some of the other things that, that we can look for when it comes to farm ground? Well, and we can actually create layers from text, from data, uh, if they don't exist. So basically, anything that you can imagine, we can either find the layer for that or build the layer for that. And when we say layer, what that means in a, in a real context is a filter. So let's say you start off with unfiltered land search, which brings in every property everywhere. And we start to dial that in from aggregate acreage, uh, minimum or maximum, soil types, road frontage, water frontage percentage of slope, NCCPI numbers, site index uh, scores, forest Pro- cover, or non-forest Proximity to a location. I mean, yeah, proximity I mean, to your, at your home, to nearest Walmart, to utility lines, transmission lines. I mean, anything you could think of, uh, sewer, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then what all those things act as a filter. So what falls out at the bottom is everything that you wanted uh, and the results tend to have an accuracy level of about 95%, you know, as long as the criterion is detailed enough. And that's held true for us on everything from sugarcane farms to recreational properties to pine straw tracks to even sites for bourbon manufacturing in Kentucky. There's pretty much no application that we found that this tool, the TAP program, can't be used for. It's almost like we should do a show on it. <laughs> I'll leave that to you, Joe. All right, folks, that's going to wrap it up this week. Y'all be sure to tune in next week. We're going to be talking with Tyler Van Meteren, uh, who's the GIS specialist at National Land Realty. And he's going to be taking us through that that targeted acquisition platform and and really explaining everything that's possible there. That's going to be a great show. Until then, y'all get outside, uh, keep your distance, but have some fun outdoors. And we will talk to you next week. If you guys would like us to email you the podcast, Just head over to greatdaysoutdoors.com slash land and join the email list. We'll send you the podcast each week. Y'all be good. This week's Hunt Land podcast is brought to you by Wildlife Management Solutions. The experts at Wildlife Management Solutions can guide you on selecting the best forage for your soils and goals. So give them a call at 877-400-8089 or check out their website with more information and a full dealer list at productsforwildlifemanagement.com. And also brought to you by the Alabama Ag Credit. Buying real property isn't the same as buying in town. If you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, give our friends at Alabama Ag Credit a call. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, they can help you with everything from homes and land to tractors and crops. Because sometimes natural resources need financial resources. And while some lenders don't get it, they do. Learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com.
and also brought to you by Bay County Armory. Building an AR-10 or AR-15 can be a daunting task. Don't let the feeling of overwhelm stop you from having the exact AR you want. Give Bay County Armory a call at 850-832-2238. And also brought to you by Alabama Black Belt Adventures and their new coffee table book, Black Belt Bounty. Celebrates the traditions of hunting and fishing so deeply embedded in the folks who get to call the Alabama Black Belt home and the folks who enjoy. It's got unbelievable writing from award-winning writers, excellent photography, and some really awesome recipes from some of Alabama's nationally recognized celebrity chefs. You want to pick up a copy? Just go over to the Alabama Black Belt Adventures website at alabamablackbeltadventures.org slash black belt bounty. 